Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, an English language podcast founded in 2019 and still going to this very day in late September 2021 that is exclusively dedicated to the greatest club competition in South American football, the Common Ball Libertadores. And myself and Mr. Oliver James Wilson this week, we discussed the two semi-finals. There was actually quite a rare Oli in-depth look at the tactics that were displayed in Flamengo's clash at home to Barcelona and Palmeiras at home against Atletico Mineiro in that all-Brazilian encounter. Uh, we talked about um, David Luiz and the unselfish Gabby goal and Palmeiras and Abel Ferreira and, and everything in between. So, uh, yeah, a nice, nice, short, snappy little pod, Ollie, for the semi-final. I mean, it was short and snappy because, as we'll hear, there was very little in one semi-final and then there was kind of the result that we were expecting in the other semi-final. Nothing really blew us away and it... Sets up one semi-final perfectly for the second leg and the other. Miracles may happen. And if that happens, we'll be talking quite a lot, I'm sure, next week. But at the moment, this is like the the calm before the storm of what's going to happen in those second legs. And look, we're going to carry on doing this, I'm sure, until we uh, get tired and sick of only being Brazilian sides in the final eight of every competition on the continent. Because at the moment... It looks like we're going to have all Brazilian finals in both of them this year in South America, but we will see. How about we keep doing the podcast until a non-Brazilian side lifts the Libertadores? I was going to say, let's keep doing the podcast until a Peruvian side wins the Libertadores, but I don't know if that will outlive us. (laughs) So maybe we keep doing it until a a non-Brazilian side wins. Yeah, no offence to Alianza Lima, but they have been garbage for the three years that I've covered them. So I have no... Uh, no idea if they're ever going to come good at all. Yeah, as I say, this is the short, snappy, fun one. Um, And David Windsor is just trending all over Twitter at the moment. And he is the king of social media, as I've I've said throughout. Since we began this podcast, at David T. Windsor, it's just a constant, constant run of everything. So uh, I'm looking forward to this podcast absolutely blowing up, mate. Absolutely blowing up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the pod. Apila takes it down, takes the strike on, and fires Boca in front. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner, double delight on the night for Flamengo. Decisive from 12 yards, and the Brazilians are well and truly in the driving seat now. only be remembered for one moment right and that's Hulk's missed penalty and it was kind of it was just so unexpected the way he steps up you never think he's gonna miss and, and he just strikes the base of the post it's such a such a big penalty miss clearly um, and it's, it's actually the first time a player has missed a penalty within the 90 minutes in a Libertadores semi-final since 1990 Wow, I didn't know that one. That is a strong stat to start the podcast. That is 10 times stronger than anything else we saw from this semi-final. Like, the reason why... I don't know if it's going to make it into the podcast or not, Windsor, because uh, I think you're editing this week and I'll step back and step away. But uh, sure. but the reason why I wanted to start with this game, as we discussed off pod, is because you're exactly right. Nothing happened. The, there was one shot on target and it wasn't Hulk's penalty, which says everything about how bad this semi-final was. 
And after we've been like disappointed slightly with the kind of all Brazilian aspect of everything like that, at least there was the part of me that thinks, well, going into this, at least we're getting, and we mentioned it on the preview pod, the creme de la creme of Brazilian football. These are the top three sides in the Brazilian Serie A at the moment. These are arguably the three best sides on the continent of South America right now. And so for Palmeiras and Atletico Mineiro to pull out what was one of the dullest semi-finals that we've covered across both tournaments, one of the dullest knockout round games, I think, that we've covered across mm-hmm. both tournaments, considering the strength of these squads for them to not be able to pull that off. This time last year, we're lauding Palmeiras for being this unbelievable attacking force. And we've been waiting for glimpses of that this season, and it's not come to fruition as it should have done. Maybe it's because of the changes, maybe whatever it is. And this Atletico Mineiro side, we finally jumped on the bandwagon of. And as soon as we jump on the bandwagon of them, they pull out this weird formation that doesn't seem to make any damn sense. It seems to completely hinder what's been an incredible style of play going forward in this tournament. And we end up with, what, 11 attempts, none on target from Atletico Mineiro? A lot of them coming from distance? I mean... I I mean... Okay, you packed a lot in there, Ollie. I want to... Sorry, that was, that was... I came in hot. I came in real hot, real fired up on this one. Apologize. Okay, no, but I want to pick apart what you said about the, the Atletico Mineiro formation, first of all. First of all, it's not actually a terrible result for either side, right? It's a boring game for the neutral. Nil-nil, you can extract positives from either side going into the going into the second leg with Palmeiras at home. The Atletico Mineiro formation, I'm going to say something that I don't want to be taken out of context or incorrectly, but I think that potentially the best thing that happened to Atletico Mineiro on the night was the injury to Diego Costa. And I only say that because, as you say, it doesn't work. They brought in Diego Costa, and obviously the, there's pressure on Kuka to play him, so he is playing him, and understandably so, he's, he's, he's Diego Costa. So, you know, they're playing Hulk and Diego Costa up front. But when you do that, completely, you're completely correct. You've got Nacho Fernandez on one side, um, Matias Saracho on the other, and it just becomes incredibly narrow. And it becomes, it's just odd. It just, it's, not, it's not where Nacho Fernandez wants to play. He wants to be floating a little bit closer in towards Hulk, playing a little bit more centrally. It's not, I don't think, where Zaracha wants to play. He wants to play a little bit more centrally. But they've been pushed out into these wide positions in this 4-4-2. Doesn't work. Diego Costa now, presumably, looked like he pulled a hamstring to me. So he'll be out of the second leg. So then you play Hulk, obviously, up front by himself. You bring in either Savarino or Vargas. And then you have that nice, fluid Zaracho, Nacho Fernandez, Vargas three behind uh, Hulk. I mean, I'm not saying anything new. This is what Kuka was doing before. <laughs> and it was working. I mean, it's not like they've been beaten 3 0, so you could be like, that's the worst decision that Kuka's ever made. Not at all. They've got a 0 0. You know, it's. Um, away from sorry, home. The second leg of, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, away from home to the second leg um, with Atletico Manera at home. So, yeah, so they, they go back on home turf and, and they're in a, a pretty decent position. But I just think that I'm not quite obviously Cuckoo won't be pleased that Diego Costa's injured. But there might be a little slither of him, Ollie. Uh, just that thinks stops the headaches. The decision's been made. Stops yep. the headaches. Stops the headaches. Stops hey, the thought everyone process. likes making easy decisions, you know? Everyone likes it when life is just a little bit more channeled for you by external influences. And that that's what's happened for Kuka. He can play the team that he probably deep down wants to play. I mean, do you think he went to the hierarchy and said, I need Diego Costa at the football club? I doubt it. I, 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 I doubt it. I think it's uh, it, it seems more like a decision when a higher up sees, ooh, 
Here's a name available. This will be a nice splashy moment for us. Let's bring in Daniele De Rossi for six months. <laughs> <laughs> we can hark back to that incredible decision by Boca Juniors and put it in some sort of contract. But I mean, that was, that was a, this guy's out of contract. Like he doesn't want to play anywhere else in Italy. We can bring him. We've got enough star power at Boca to bring Daniele De Rossi in. Atletico Mineiro, not the same name globally as uh, as Boca Juniors, but financially far more stable at the moment than than anybody else in Argentinian football, for sure. And Diego Costa's there. It's great to have with an ageing Hulk. Uh, and I don't mean that in a belittling way because he's played really well all tournament, but he is 35. So it's great to have another out-and-out centre-forward, particularly as Hulk isn't that wide man anymore that he used to be. The ironic thing is, is that, I don't know, eight years ago, seven, six years ago, you'd have been able to play Costa and Hulk as part of like a 4-2-3-1, and they would have partnered so well with Zaracho, Alan Franco, Fernandez, all still in there and playing positions that they're far more used to, particularly then if you can have the support from a left-back coming in and maybe in the same way that the Italians in Euro 2020 had Spinazzola going forward and Insigne cutting inside. Even if Fernandes is forced out onto the left a bit, he's not going to have to play the out-and-out left midfielder role in the same way as a 4-4-2, I think, because you'd have the defensive cover from two deep midfielders in that sort of formation. It would have worked brilliantly, but the fact you're trying to squeeze you know, square pegs into round holes or round holes into square pegs, whichever way you want to look at it, and you're leaving one of the best players so far in this tournament that... Atletico Mineiro have had in the middle of the park in Alan Franco on the bench to try and fit all of these pieces in. It just doesn't work. Zaracho isn't a wide player. Fernandez isn't a wide player. So you lose the width. You then get a very crowded centre of the field, which is just clustered. And Hulk and Costa you know, weren't able to create enough clear-cut chances inside the 18-yard box because neither of them really are going to be that tear away into space in behind and beat defenders for pace sort of guys. I mean, Hulk's still shown a bit of legs, but... Not in the same way that he used to. So he also had a free kick from about seventy yards out. We, I mean, and this is <laughs> this is something. Uh, this it. is something. In- it was one of those where he was never ever going to score. So the best possible thing was it was for the free kick to go a little bit close, and people would be like, "Oh wow, that was quite close," and he struck it from seventy yards. But that's irrelevant because he was never going to score. So at the point, he just knocked it the, out. The play. only thing in those sorts of situations is the ball that bounces just in front of the keeper that, that's fumbled sure. out. But this is something that comes in, has come a lot into world football in general. This isn't a knock at South American football. This is across the globe of players going for free kicks that they just shouldn't do. I get if it's more central, it's difficult to ping a ball into the box. But plenty of teams have worked out that you can have a big centre-back on the left or right-hand side of the 18-yard box and nod it back across goal. So these idiots that line up a free kick from 40 yards out plus and start trying to just thump it towards goal, it's such a waste of time and effort because they're so focused on the power that either they thump it straight into a wall or it goes well off the mark. It rarely causes a problem for goalkeepers. And now I know I'm going to eat my own words and somebody's going to score an absolute screamer in the second leg of this game with a free kick from distance. Yeah, I mean, it was the quintessential game to annoy me. <laughs> I think this. <laughs> if, yeah. It, okay, so let's say... Atletico Mineiro in the second leg at home are going to make, they're going to have to make that big switch of not playing Diego Costa. For Palmeiras, um, Oli, this is a side in really poor form. Across all competitions now, they've won three in 11. Mm. Three in 11. I mean, this is a side in really bad form. I think you've got to make Atletico Mineiro favourites for the second leg to go through. And I think Abel Ferreira's got a decision to make, really. 
He's sort of he's sort of rotated the whole way through the tournament. And I get it. It's busy. There's a lot of games. There's been injuries. There's been suspensions. There's been lots going on. But, uh, you know, I look at that bench and I think, I think of Gustavo Scarpa, Gabriel Menino. I'm not saying I watch these players every week, but the players that he is currently using aren't really working. So I'd love to see Scarpa start the second leg. Um, like I say, they're in, they're in terrible form. And I think at this point it would be not an upset, but I'd be surprised if Palmeiras make it back-to-back finals this was one of my more preferred though starting kind of five or six in midfield and up front that we've seen from Palmeiras in a while aside from perhaps Dudu who's come Mm -hmm. back into the frame again in the Libertadores more this year than he was last season but he was a bigger part in the previous years before that for this Palmeiras side so I mean I would look at maybe a Gustavo Scarpa uh, to come in there or maybe a Gabriel Veron as well he was so versatile last year I thought I think he was kind of unduly left out, to be honest, in this one, because a Rafael Vega, a, a Ronnie and an Adriano and a, and a, um, a Gabriel Veron, for instance, would be my ideal line. I, I mean, I personally, I'm still not a big fan of Felipe Melo, just because he is well, a, just a bruiser in the middle of the park. I don't think he provides anything else. He's He stopped being a footballer years ago. I must <laughs> check his age, mate, as well, because he must be like... Okay, um, I've got it. I've got it. Do you yeah. want to take a ballpark guess? Yeah, I do, because I mean, I remember commentating on him when he was in Turkey, right? Mm. You probably did similar. And he was sort of late 20s then. And I reckon that was 10 years ago. So I'm going to go 37. Oh, 38. He's 38. <laughs> I mean, he, but that shows he's even older than you'd think he is. Like, yeah. And do you remember when they had him back for the um, Club World Cup last year? They got it back in, mm-hmm. back into the side. He was back, I think it was from injury. And uh, and he came on as a substitute in the final as well, didn't he? As like, uh, look, Felipe Melo's back and we'll get him mm-hmm. in for the last... And he did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Provided some he, lumping tackles that... He wasn't great 10 years ago. <sighs> like, he was good in Turkey, like, but it was more like he had that weird celebration. And like you say, he was always good for a yellow card and he was kind of entertaining. But I don't remember him sort of tearing up the league. So, yeah, odd one for me. I mean, Danilo... Um, it could come in into the heart of that midfield instead and play there late. Mm-hmm. So it was it was almost a Palmeiras side that I would have thought, yeah, that can go out and really get them. And they just didn't. Again, they, they really underperformed, as you say. They're in this poor run at the moment. I mean, you look at the teams that they've beaten uh, domestically. Chapecoense, who have had been such an up-and-down club in the last few years in Brazilian domestic football for, I mean, quite obvious and various reasons uh, around them. And an Atletico Paranaense side that... Uh, that are distracted at the moment with the Common Ball Sudamericana semi-finals, who have probably got their eyes elsewhere. I mean, they've all got deep squads to some extent, but um, Atletico Paranaense not quite as deep as others, and so are focusing a bit more attention on those semi-finals and the knockout stages of the uh, the sister tournament in the continent. So Palmeiras haven't beaten great teams either. If they can go to Atletico Mineiro and get a result, I'd be quite surprised to be honest at this stage. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, an Atletico Mineiro, top of the Brazilian standing. I mean, they're, they're on course for, for some season. Um, we'll have to wait and see how that one unravels. Uh, okay, the second semi-final. Flamengo 2, Barcelona nil. A couple of goals from Bruno Enrique. I guess you look at the scoreline from the outside and you think, oh, this must have been fairly comfortable for Flamengo. But Barcelona had chances. And yes, I'm aware that I gave Flamengo the big and said they were going to win sort of by three or four. Listen, they've still won 2-0. They're still going to go through to the final, I believe. But you, 
you know, the fact is, Oli, Barcelona had chances. I mean, Mastriani, Molina, Castillo from a tight angle, Mastriani again um, on the edge of the box. <laughs> they had so many opportunities. So before we talk about the goals from Bruno Enrique, Barcelona will walk away from the Maracanã and think, Jesus, if we could have just snatched an away goal, we'd really, really fancy a big upset. Yeah, and if you could keep 11 men on the field, that would also be very that useful too. away from home against Flamengo. That's I mean, the, the two yellow cards for Molina certainly didn't help proceedings whatsoever. But... That just makes it even more impressive, to be honest, that they conceded two and Flamengo couldn't kill off this tie completely. Like it, You said last week a 2-0 loss isn't terrible to take back to Ecuador for this second leg, I think. And I think you were saying, you know, 2-0, 3-1, that isn't necessarily tie over. That would make keep things interesting. And I think you're right, to be honest, because going toe-to-toe with Flamengo in the Maracanã created almost as many chances, almost as many on target as well. It's just the finishing touch, which it's hard to replicate a Bruno Enrique in in many sides in South American football. And the quality on the finishes, you know, they're not, they're nothing spectacular, but they're clinical. And, you know, if Gabby Gold's not going to provide it, (laughs) the unfortunate thing for everybody is that Bruno Enrique is. Ollie. I'm just waiting for you to give Gabby Gol the credit he deserves with like a delicious first assist, but it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to be coming unless I why would I why would I credit out. why would I credit that man when Bruno Iniki is the man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, oh, Gabby oh, Gol is, is the four, generous fourth one, assist isn't he, of the Windsor? tournament so far. Yeah, Gabby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Gabby Gol, you know, fourth assist of the tournament so far. Ultimate playmaker, perfectly yeah. to you know <laughs> combine that with his ten goals and Bruno Enrique. But he does look back to his best, doesn't he? In, uh, you know, Vitinho just slightly got on a plate, as you say. It's the, This is the Bruni Enrique that we remember really, really high up the pitch. A goal scorer, a creator, just looks happy, happy to be playing and scoring again. So I um, should say Deras Gaeta, mm. um injured, but I will be fit. I was reading for the second leg. If they want him, though, Oli. You know, Bruni Enrique, Vitinho, Everton Hibero behind Gabby goal. I don't know. Maybe that's what... Um, that's what Renato Gaucho is 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 going to stick with. Uh, I mean, personally, I'm a massive Deiraska Deiraska fan. I'd bring him back in for Vitinho, but he might think a bit of consistency up there. What do you reckon? I mean, I don't think you can leave out Deiraska if he's fit and ready to go because he has been so good in this tournament. I mean, we've discussed it a few podcasts back that while Gabby Gold has been the man, been the unselfish one, he's been the provider as well as the goal scorer, but Deiraska has been the one that has really consistently been the playmaker, and every year one of these Brazilian sides has had one individual person of absolute quality outside of maybe a Gabi Gol or an Adriano or someone like that. Last year it was Ronnie. Um, arguably, maybe it was Gabriel Veron as well at certain points in that tournament. This year, it's certainly been Deres Cayeta in the same way that Bruno Henrique was the essential Robin to Gabi Gol's Batman when they won it two years ago. So um, so I do think, <laughs> I do think Deres Cayeta will need if he's available you just bring him in you don't take any chances because away from home in the Libertadores it's easy to keep bringing out these Brazilian sides classically play within themselves on the road but it is true like we've seen it time and time again that that does happen so you don't in case they do live up to that stereotype you can't take any chances with this Barcelona side Mm. because there's enough for you to have a bit of a wake-up call I think you know like you Uh yeah, I mean, they're 1-2 nil. Yeah, like, yeah, Barcelona had chances. They would not have expected Barcelona to have, have as many chances as that. Barcelona's record at home in the competition this year has been awesome. Um, so that they are still in the tie. Um, it's, 
it's yep. yeah. it's enough of a I performance was... put against you that makes you realize we can't be complacent. That's the that's the important thing to take from it. It's not necessarily that it it, it was a good victory. It's a really solid victory and it's a great result. But there's enough to make you think, well, if we really sit on our asses and do nothing or if we put out a reserve side because we want to focus on the league form for the next couple of weeks or whatever, you you might not get away with it. Mm-hmm. It should say that Flamengo are now unbeaten in 16 Commonwealth Libertadores games. The only side with a better record in terms of being unbeaten is Sporting Cristal back in the 1960s. Uh, Flamengo scored 30 goals in 11 games in the tournament this year. I was thinking, Ollie, wouldn't it be amazing if they can go the whole 13 game second leg of the semi final and the final and maintain that kind of three goals a game for the entire tournament? <laughs> like, it would be really special. Um, I thought it was interesting. I, I touched on this a couple of podcasts ago about I like Diego actually sitting in there alongside William Arau. Um, but obviously, they brought in Andres Pereira and he, he's going to start. He's, he's sort of a name, and, and I do understand him starting. But I do think it, it changes things slightly when, when Diego's in there. I like that. But uh, yeah, listen, Flamengo. I mean, Nixon Molina got sent off as well for, for Barcelona. Leo Pereira late on for for uh, Flamengo. Yeah, well, what has to happen in the second leg, do you think, for for Barcelona? I mean, can they, 11 against 11, can they do it? Or do they, do they need that red card? You know, do, or do they, do they need something to happen? Um, I think 11 against 11, it's possible for them to get a victory. I think there's a big part of me, I touched on it actually last week when we chatted once the games had finished before we uh, even thought about recording anything, that I kind of want Flamengo to not get the victory so that Renato Gaucho can get the 50th and record-breaking victory as a manager in the Copa Libertadores in the final to win it. I think that's just the football romantic coming out in me. And I think there's a chance... That would make him That would make him the manager with the most wins in Libertadores history, just to... Yeah. yeah. Um, and that would, be, that would be too good a way to do it, rather than oh. booking a place in the final, to be winning it in the final with that victory. And I think there's a great chance that Barcelona do get a victory or at least a draw on home soil. I just don't think it's going to be enough because, as we've always said, Flamengo are too good an attacking force that they will get an away goal. If they get an away goal, life becomes so much more difficult for Barcelona and it will kill the tie-off. And then you imagine the Ecuadorians going for broke and leaving themselves exposed potentially on the counter-attack, which is where Flamengo can be devastating as well. It, as I said last time, it's not over. I still think like footballing miracles can take place. We may see something very special in this Barcelona side. is a special enough side to be able to produce something quite, quite incredible. But whether it's going to be enough, uh, I'm not too sure. I was just going to look up there. I, I just, I mean, that is crazy, Oli. If Renato Gaucho becomes the coach that has won the most games in the Libertadores, that is that. Added to the fact that he won it as a player, he won it with Gremio, and if he goes on and wins it with Flamengo, I mean, that is unbelievable. And this is a man who, I would say, outside of the continent, no one's heard of him. Is that fair to say? <laughs> well, they haven't, yeah, have they? Yeah, pretty much. Like, like you know, if, you, if you're in the pub and you're saying, hey, what about that Renato Gaucho? Maybe we should get him in at oh, you I've know, heard uh, West Ham, Norwich. West Ham like, are looking at Gaucho. <laughs> yeah. Who? who the, People who would be like, what? <laughs> Oh, God. You know, whereas you, well, I mean, if you say Marcelo Gachado, you probably get a few black Carrow Road, though, and being like, <laughs> what? I don't think you'd like the weather, yeah. Where? Those nine buttons undone or something, it wouldn't wouldn't quite work. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't won it yet with, with Flamengo, obviously, but um, were he to do so, uh, yeah. What I would, think that would be... 
what would do you think the reaction from Gremio fans would be? Because obviously they let him go this year, um, and they were incredible in the start of the Common Ball Sudamericana to the point that it was like they look odds on to win it in the group stage. They didn't. Uh, they won their first five quite comfortably against poor opposition, drew, and then uh, their final game of the group stage, and then lost in the first knockout stage of the competition. And you were like, oh, oh, okay, this this has all gone wrong very quickly. And it, it's a quite an emphatic fall from grace for Gremio as a club on the continental stage to go from kind of quarter-finalist, semi-finalist, year after year after year in Libertadores, to then be competing in the Sudamericana, to then be out. And then you see Renato Gaucho just step across elsewhere to Flamengo and, oh, by the way, I'm just going to... You know all that thing I was trying to do with repeating victories after the 2018 win? Well, I'm just going to do it here instead, so don't worry about it. Nah, come on. I mean, he... You know, what he gave Gremio, they couldn't have dreamt of, surely. I mean, I think he... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough Gremio fans. Not, I don't have many Gremio fans in my social circle, but really? I That's reckon weird. that... You've got the jersey, though, so I just thought you knew loads of <laughs> Yeah, that is, that is true. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I, I would suggest they'll, they'll, be out. they'll be fine with it until he sort of, um, you know, is parading the trophy around and saying... My heart you know, is red, red and black till I die and stuff like, <laughs> stuff like this. Then... <laughs> Then, but I don't, I don't think Renato Gaucho is about Gremio. I don't think he's about Flamengo. I think Renato Gaucho is about Renato Gaucho. I think he's about himself, really. Um, uh, so, yeah. That is every right. every football manager on the South American continent, though, because they move around so quickly. You can't afford to really have a, a love affair with a club. I mean, the fact that he was at Gremio for so long was the incredible mm. thing. Yeah, Lords is a two-way street, isn't it? Mm. And you're not going to get it from the club. So, <laughs> What do you reckon, then? Predictions? I mean, I've backed Palmeiras all the way through, so I'm just going to stick with them. Um, you got to. Yeah, away from yeah. home, 2-2 uh, draw. It's going to be... I'm, I am doing this just for my my own sanity more than anything else. I hope yeah. it ends up being an absolute banger. Four-goal thriller, 2-2. Palmeiras with like 15 minutes to go, get their second. Yeah. Um, I think um, Hulk makes amends for missing the penalty. I think he bags a goal or two is certainly a big part. And I think Atletico Mineiro show why they're top of the Brazilian league and, and Palmeiras sack Abba Ferreira. And uh, yeah, and it's all... Ch- <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing, Oli. I think that would make it... You know, if he doesn't beat them, well, I suppose in a way, uh, in a, uh, you know, a score draw would be, would be a perfect result. But let, let's say, you know, he loses. Then they've won 3-12 and 12 for a club like Palmeiras. Like, they, they can't win... Well, it's unlikely they're going to win the league this year. Knocked out of the Libertadores. Yeah. I mean, that's worse than Tottenham fans with Poch. Takes them to a Champions League final and then has a rough start to the next season and sends them out. This year, it's, well, we're in the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores after I won it last year. Do you remember when I won it for you last year? Yeah, but be gone. You're out. You're done. Only if it was a fluke, yeah. It was like... Um... It was a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when Avram Grant to go Di Matteo um, okay, okay oh so, my yeah, god I mean, the I think... disrespect <laughs> we've put on that Palmeiras name is unbelievable that's a joke oh mate do we have we've got the uh, words from Christian as well yeah yeah let's uh, let's hear what Christian I almost, almost feel very guilty now because um, Christian you know I'm joking you know but Pam Pam <laughs> obviously it wasn't a fluke Stop obviously playing nice yeah, now. yeah <laughs> but, well because part of me thinks you and I are still going for stakes in uh, in Sao Paulo with Christian one day, so <laughs> got to keep everyone on side. All right, let's hear what our uh, resident Palmeiras uh, 
supporter has to say had to say about the about the result. So uh, many were not very happy about uh, Palmeiras' performance against Atlético Mineiro for the first leg of the Libertadores semifinals, uh, a nil-nil draw at home. But uh, I will offer a bit of a different reading on the game. I think that um, it's important to remember that Atletico is a very strong side. Uh, and before playing Palmeiras, uh, Atletico had 15 consecutive games scoring in each of those games. So Palmeiras being able to, clean, to keep a clean sheet, that was uh, very important. And certainly that was uh, Coach Abel Ferreira's main mission of the night, which he succeeded in. Uh, he wasn't able to score, uh, and he acknowledges that that is uh, something that needs improvement. But again, remember, uh, Atletico is a very strong side. They currently sport the best defense in the Brazilian league. Uh, also worth mentioning is that uh, Atletico committed 22 fouls during the game, more than double those of Palmeiras. So each time that Palmeiras tried to, to make transitions and, and go to their fast-paced attack, they were stopped, and mainly by fouls, uh, left unpunished by the referee. So that explains a bit of uh, why we saw a game that was hard fought, but uh, not very entertaining. Uh, and, um, well, in the end, I'd say that Palmeiras came out on top. Um, they now have the away goal advantage. Uh, should Palmeiras score against Atletico in the second leg, that will force Atletico to, to win the game. Uh, otherwise, Palmeiras will um, proceed to their second consecutive Libertadores final. Okay, so predictions for the other semi-final, Willie? Oh, yeah. 2-1 uh, Barcelona win. They go out winning, winning on home soil. But Flamengo getting away goal and it's kind of, yeah, we're okay now. It's not going to look great on the aggregate scoreline, but it's going to be a feather in the cap at least for, for Barcelona. We've been very good, as you say, on home soil this this competition. Mm. And considering the group that they were in to get to this point, just an incredible achievement anyway. But yeah, it sets up the final that we all were talking about at the beginning, really, of the knockout stage. Yeah, yeah I think Flamengo cruised through. I think Barcelona got to come out and attack and you know we all know if that suits Flamengo in the transition then uh, yeah I think uh, I think Flamengo cruised through and, and they set up an all Brazilian final and then we'll, we'll talk about that